the left, yes, we're on the left, on the left, just doing our best, on the left, yes, we're on the left, solidarity, and fuck the rest, bum, bum. All right. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the second episode. Eventually, I guess I'll stop enumerating them at some point. <laughs> it's like when you first start dating someone and eventually you lose track of how many times you've slept with them. <laughs> you know, you're convinced you never will. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the podcast is just like sex with people you don't know. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, anyways, they're uh, on the left, and this particular series that we're doing, our kickoff series, is talking to people about how they ended up on the left, because there's a lot of interesting stuff there that is valuable, and besides, we just want to talk about ourselves, am I right? <laughs> um, so today we're talking with Andrew Lavin, and before he introduces himself, I should also mention really quickly that we're recording this on January the 7th, 2021, so this is the day after what seems like is being labeled the insurrection, <laughs> which I think is a good, you know, good middle ground between coup and I don't know what other people would call it. Uh, protesting yeah yeah right exactly mere (laughs) protesting uh the insurrection works Mm-hmm. So we don't need to talk about that at all today, but it just might come up uh, <laughs> for obvious reasons. It might be on our mind. So I just thought I'd yeah. throw that context out there. So Andrew, tell us a brief introduction. Who are you? What do you do? Etc. All right. I am Andrew Lavin. Um, I guess I'm technically Dr. Andrew Lavin, but yeah. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I'm from California. I don't, I don't insist on titles. So um, I uh, got my PhD in philosophy from UCLA uh, quite recently. And I also went got a master's from San Jose State before that and went to uh, Chico State before that and Butte College before that. And now I'm teaching at two of those schools, Butte College and uh, Chico State. And um, I also teach a class um, about an hour and a half away up into the mountains in uh, Feather River, uh, Feather River College in Quincy, and that's uh, an online class, luckily, so I don't never have to make that drive. I've made it once, but um, and you also have a podcast, right? Yeah, so I have a um, is an introductory philosophy podcast. I kind of think of it. I, I it, it almost sounds pretentious to call it the Radio Lab of Philosophy, so I say like that's what I'm aiming for um, because Radiolab is like incredible. And I'm just a guy who sits here on my computer and occasionally records with someone else. But um, that's my like goal. Right. And so that's the, tells you something about the style I'm aiming for and stuff. Um, But it's about philosophy. um, Well, someone who's listened. Yeah. Listen to your podcast. I can say that in terms of production value, you're definitely, you know, you're getting there. <laughs> it's you. like it's the opposite. You have the opposite strategy of me for this podcast, which has as low expectations and ambitions as possible. <laughs> that I'm almost Excellent. willing to to reach or supersede them. Um, 
yeah, that's my yep. attitude towards life in general. Um, so yeah, aim, aim for the ground. Podcast, <laughs> if you guys are right, <laughs> for the ground. Great podcast. If you guys out there are interested in uh, philosophy and uh, philosophical questions, it's definitely um, a fun listen and an engaging one. Okay. Yeah, indeed. So let's dive into uh, where you are now on the political spectrum. How would you describe that just so we can kind of set the stage for where we know you eventually end up? Mm -hmm. Um, So I, so I'm like decidedly left um, uh, of, of center though. I, you know, as a, as a philosopher, I get like, you know, my mind boggled about these easy things. Like what does it mean to be left of center? But um, I'm, so I like wouldn't describe myself as a Marxist though. I have like very strong Marxist, um, sympathies. And, um, I wouldn't describe myself as an anarchist though. I have anarchist sympathies. Um, even though I like it really, I, I, I I would say I'm decidedly not an anarchist and I'm a lot more, um, I'm a lot less decidedly not a Marxist. (laughs) You know, I, I really like Marx. I teach him in my intro classes. I think he's like fundamental to understanding, capitalism and understanding the the political world. Um, But I don't um, totally buy into all of the central planning aspects of um, some of Marx's um, economic theory and, and, and some of what, especially communism ends up looking like in, in the historical record. Um, And even what, you know, if you take Marx, just even if you just look at Marx, then you're you're still going to end up with something that's fairly centrally planned and and somewhat authoritarian, and um, and so I don't. Um, that's why I, I shy away from calling myself a Marxist, even though I think all of Marx's critiques of capitalism, I think, are are spot on, and I um, very much agree with him there. So that's um, where the anarchism gets sprinkled in there a bit, perhaps. Kind of. Yeah. So I, I like feel like if, you know, I, I have a, a lot, I have more in common with um, like anarchist Marxists than I do with, um, you know, Len- Leninists or Trotskyists or Maoists or, or people like that. Um, but uh, generally speaking, like my, in my podcast, I have an episode where I play with this economic system where I, that I call cooperatism, which is, um, uh, something kind of like a middle ground between uh, Marxism. Um, and it's, it's something that like is getting more and more play. It's actually not, it's not, I wouldn't take credit for coming up with it, but it's, it's something I kind of arrived at on my own to some extent where uh, the idea is to just get lots and lots of worker um, control over corporations and to basically make everything into a co-op um, and then to socialize certain things that there, it makes sense to socialize uh, but then to cooperatize basically everything that you can't socialize or that it doesn't make sense to socialize. And, right. Um, to, so, so in that respect, I definitely have some Marxist tendencies and that I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really believe in private ownership of large corporations. Right. Even though I also really like small businesses and <laughs> let's, let's, let's go for there. it. Yeah, I mean, like, why, why not? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's very specific, actually, which <laughs> I think is great, because I think a lot of times on the left, we are asked for pretty specific 
game plans. And for a lot of, I think, reasonable yeah. reasons, reasonable reasons, we don't yeah. always have them. <laughs> um, but that's actually very specific. And I actually haven't heard of that before. So most excellent. I will be looking into that and also catching up. I'm a little behind on your podcast. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> i have to go find the episodes <laughs> on that. All yeah, right. Um, I think like Elizabeth Warren has actually talked about some very similar things to like worker control of, of corporations and um, a lot of, like that kind of bottom up um, control over things like corporations and kind of flattening hierarchies in the workplace and things like that, which that's. I love the idea of, yeah, uh, turn everything into a co-op that you can turn into a co-op. I think that is very much where I'm at to a significant degree as well, right? Particularly because I share your concern about centralization of power. But we're not talking about me. We're talking about you. (laughs) So that's where you are now. Mm -hmm. Uh, When did you first remember having thoughts or opinions on politics? Because obviously, (laughs) this is very important to you. This is like the central aspect of existing for you. Uh, but it wasn't necessarily always that way or, or was it? Yeah. So it's interesting. I, I remember like, um, it's a fairly early memory of mine. I must be, I, I didn't calculate the, the actual age I must've been, but I must've been somewhere between eight and 10 or something when Bill Clinton was running against, um, Bob Dole, Dole. or maybe, or maybe he was running against Bush. I'm trying to, I don't remember which election it was, but I was young, you know, and I remember thinking, I want Bill Clinton to win. And, and I had, I, I think I had no idea what I was talking about at the time. <laughs> I, I was probably, I was, you know, raised by um, parents who decidedly voted for Bill Clinton. And so like, I, I may have just picked that up, but I remember hearing it on the radio and thinking, I want that Clinton guy to win. And then he did win. I was like, I, I chose it right. Um, but <laughs> My horse. He, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, I don't know if I took it that seriously um, until um, I, definitely by like junior high, definitely by early high school. But I would say earlier than that, I was already aware of political issues. I was interested in them um, and and sort of thinking about them and um, trying trying to get to the bottom of them. I would say. And was that inclination something you just kind of naturally fell into? Like you were interested in this, like you would be interested in other subjects in school or was there some sort of surrounding context that helped encourage that interest? I, so I think part of it was like, my family is just a family of where everyone has an opinion about everything kind of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, now, now it might maybe gets us into a little bit of trouble because we don't always agree on, um, some deeply held political issues, but, um, it kind of felt, I think, I think I was kind of enculturated into the idea that like, you should, you should have an opinion, like you should take a stake in things. Um, but, um, but then I, you know, my, parents were decidedly left of center, uh, social workers and like work with, uh, foster youth. And, um, you know, that there were, I, I was very much raised in that area. I was raised around transgender folk. I was raised around gay folk. I was, you know, it was just like this 
area, like the, the world of social work, you know, is, is that was the world I kind of grew up in to some extent. And so I was kind of already started off in that, that way, just based on who I grew up around. And, um, I also ended up going to the schools in town that were the least bougie and the most diverse as a result. And so I was surrounded by people of all different uh, walks of life, all different socioeconomic statuses and ethnic diversity all around um, as much as you can get in in Chico, which is a pretty white little town. But there's definitely some diversity here. And I think I experienced the most you can growing up in Chico based on the schools I went to. Definitely. Um, There is uh, opportunity, right? Uh, Little pockets of diversity um, if you you want it and you know where to seek it. Uh, I don't think I've mentioned this before, but yeah, we're recording from Chico, which I have mentioned that's where I teach. So um, just for some bizarre reason, someone really wanted to know where we are. Um, (laughs) So... It sounds like because of your surroundings in school and your family, you start out pretty left of center. Would it would it like a liberally liberal <laughs> kind of thing? <laughs> liberally liberal, right? Um, I would I would say yeah. Like given my upbringing, if um, if there weren't like later interventions, I would end up as what people on the left derisively label a liberal now. Yes. Like I I would, I would be kind of one of those kind of just somewhat left of center, but kind of moderate type of people. But, um, you know, there's, there's more of the story to tell. Exactly. (laughs) So that sets us up perfectly. When does that deviation or that further journey left begin for you in a way that you, could you know see and look back on and notice since a lot of this stuff Mm -hmm. is just trickles in like water but at some point we do take notice and when would that be yeah so like i i think i there was never really a moment where i was even even barely right of center but um i would say i was much more moderate as a undergraduate um i think I, i was a fairly typical white male undergraduate um, in a lot of ways. Like I was not at all woke when it came to issues of feminism. Uh, I was kind of maybe a little bit better off when it came to issues of like race and, um, and, and other things like that. I was um, certainly more um, accepting of, um, you know, transgender folk and um, queer folk and um, things like that. But, but I had like definitely a lot of um, inculturated misogyny sort of latent in me that just um, as, as just a male growing up without like a huge amount of like intentional, like don't be a misogynist, um, you know, uh, training, then it's like, yeah, you're you're probably going to end up with some misogynistic attitudes that you're not like, aware of, um, in throughout high school and, and things like that. Right. Um, and, and so that was kind of where I was as an undergraduate. I felt, I, I probably fancied myself like the, you know, pretty, um, smart, but I also had some pretty conservative friends. And I, I thought like, I, you know, I want to like, I want to make room in my life for that to be like, okay. And so like for conservative, not to be a four letter word, because I have some some friends, some really close friends that are 
um, conservative. And, and so I want like, you know, I, I, I want it to be okay. And, and maybe even to, for myself to have some conservative attitudes so that I can say like, okay, I'm really drawing from different sources and I'm really like my own man kind of thing. Right. Um, absolutely. I think that that idea of, of intellectual diversity and independence is really tempting and mm-hmm. which is not to say it's a bad thing well i mean it can be a bad thing right oh well, we could get into it it's like you know you don't really want to make room for your friend the nazi right but <laughs> exactly. even even deeper than that most obvious thing right uh there's a the individualism of american culture that basically tells you if mm-hmm. you find a bunch of people that you agree with and if you find a name for something that is what you believe yeah. in then you're being a groupie Right, uh-huh. and you're yeah. uh, you've given up your independent thought as if solidarity with other people is somehow going to corrupt you and right. turn you into a dumb dumb, uh, right. you know, cog in a machine, which you know <laughs> is just lovely uh, and also very tempting to white men. So I really commend you for <laughs> yeah. finding your way out of it. So okay, all right, so. Yeah, you're you're drifting in that direction, but you also have these social connections, which are really important to us as human beings. That right. maybe you know keep you anchored a little bit more in in the mainstream political currents of the rest of the country. Yeah. Then what happens? So yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess it, like another thing worth mentioning is that um, during when I was an undergraduate, I was also involved in a. Um, a Christian community that it's in downtown Chico press Bidwell Presbyterian church. And it's a very kind of apolitical place. Um, I, I think maybe to a fault. Um, I, I don't go there anymore. I, I still go to church, but I go to a different church and it's a very aggressively left, uh, like a uh, pro- progressive church that has a pride flag out front of it, you know? And it's, so it's a very different church than, Bidwell. And um, so at the time when I was an undergraduate, I was like really involved in this community that was kind of apolitical and um, found um, a lot of identity with each other outside of politics, um, which is great because, you know, there, there are a lot there of... There are other um, things. Yeah, there are other <laughs> things than politics. And there are some like really cool people that I um, I still love and came came to love because... I had this relationship with them that was in a time in my life when I was willing to set aside politics and, um, and I'm, I'm sort of less in that place now, but I'm, you know, I still treasure some of those relationships, but, um, so, so I was kind of in a place in my life where I was, I was a little bit more apolitical, um, because I, I had, um, um, a little, it was a little bit of, you know, in a honeymoon phase with Christianity to a certain extent, right? Um, and, um, so then uh, like really things I think change in a, the most dramatic way when I get to UCLA, um, which is not that long ago. It's only, um, what, seven years now, um, ago, seven and a half years ago. Um, so in 2014, I got to UCLA and, um, it was right, um, during my first year as a PhD student at UCLA is when, um, they, uh, the grand jury decided not to convict or not to indict any of the, uh, or the, the one police officer involved in the, um, Michael, Michael Brown killing. I'm, I'm 
yeah, right, the um, uh, Ferguson, Missouri. And um, I had no idea what was going on. Right? So I showed up and like everyone around me was more woke than I was. And I had no idea what was going on. I was like, okay, this sounds like a really bad thing. Let me learn more about it. I'm just going to like stay mum while everyone's kind of mourning around me because I honestly have no idea until I got home. And then I was able to like look things up and be like, oh, okay, this is what's going on. Okay. I'm not sure how I think about this. And I still have some very conservative friends from other things that are telling me different narratives. And so I'm kind of trying to piece it together and things like that. Um, and so I, I think the, the most, um, the, the time when I feel like I really um, woke up to um, some of the systemic racism and sexism and anti queerism and heteronormativity and like all of those things I think was my time at UCLA. Um, even though I was already sort of primed in that direction by a lot of things in, in you know, classes from when I was an undergrad of like, um, I took a cool class called Jesus Buddha Marx. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a and Leonard Cohen line. Dig it. Yeah, no, it's, it was a super cool class. Um, and I, I think it, it's still on the, um, the docket, but the um, professor who teaches it is furping and I don't know if they teach it as much, but it's a cool class. And it got me thinking, you know, as a, especially as a young Christian, I was like, this Marx guy is really cool. Like, you know, whatever. I, I was never um, in a community where people were like, he's the devil. And so I was <laughs> yeah. kind of open to him. And um, uh, so that that was, you know, like there was lots of seeds planted throughout my life. And then when I got to UCLA, I was able to kind of dive into Marxist theory a little bit, feminist theory, critical race theory, and things like that, which um, like really kind of woke me up. I, I was just getting new Facebook friends, honestly, like that's a huge deal. It is a huge <laughs> deal. It's important. Um, I was wondering if you're going to grad school for philosophy, correct? Mm -hmm. How does your studies in philosophy intersect with these new political views? Because, you know, philosophy can be very <laughs> political, vice versa. Yeah. A lot of it was just exposure to my colleagues who are just like, very, um, like a lot of them, especially the ones who are like, do political philosophy and or 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 ethics, and they're like, really um, chimed, like, keyed into these issues. And um, I um, love those issues in philosophy, but I've never sort of fancied myself a political philosopher. Um, and, and there was a time when I was kind of like, oh, ethics is really cool. And then I kind of strayed more towards philosophy of mind and um, uh, epistemology and um, uh, other sorts of issues um, and philosophy of language and stuff. Um, well, they sorry. were not totally segregated, sorry, just, but... Just one second. <laughs> problem. <laughs> my, my wife is telling me, don't sell yourself short. You were pretty liberal when we first dated. <laughs> okay, most excellent. Uh, which no, which was when we were undergrad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, what, what was I just saying? I was So um, we were talking about philosophy, and I was kind of yeah. summarizing, tr trying to s summarize, see, correct me if I'm wrong, that it's not at all like they were segregated, but they were also somewhat separate tracks 
A little, a little bit of, um, yeah, it's like, you know, I took some ethics, ethical theory classes. Um, I don't think I took any classes at UCLA that I would call political theory. Uh, in fact, I don't even know. I, I think all of my political theory classes or uh, all of my knowledge of political theory essentially is self-taught. I don't think I've taken a formal class in it other than as an undergrad and then, um, but uh, like now I've, I've taught, you know, texts and political theory and stuff. Um, but yeah, so there, you know, there's a little bit of kind of like, well, if, are you value theory in philosophy or are you um, metaphysics, epistemology, philosophy of language, um, kind of that we call it M and E, metaphysics and epistemology. Um, and so like I was a little, I was pretty clearly on the M and E side. And so I, um, I didn't end up taking lots, but you have, you know, you have to take some of the um, ethics classes and I've always sort of loved it, but I haven't like. Um, yeah, you have to be somewhat well-rounded. Yeah. And I, You're inevitably going to fall into that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And um, I've always, I think, maybe held being well-rounded as a higher value than some colleagues who I think are, like, really, like, I just want to understand language and that's it. You know, right. just let me Absolutely. nail down on that. I think a political consciousness also helps encourage a a broader appreciation of, of sort of generalism, right? Generalism is way underappreciated yeah. in the modern academy, but it's so important. Uh, totally. Because, you know, like other shit matters than your own research. I know that's scandalous <laughs> to some people here, but actually most things, almost everything matters but more than your own research. Yeah, let's, let's be honest. Let's yeah. Be <laughs> All right, so... Uh, other intersections I'm curious about, you mentioned Facebook friends, so you can elaborate on that if you like, uh, but other intersections with your personal life, uh, relationships, spirituality, you mentioned you ended up changing churches, so I'm uh, wondering if there is uh, a larger story there. What say you? Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, so like the first thing is, I, I think like, you can't undersell the the just basic exposure to narratives and facts and things like think pieces and takes from really smart people like academics and philosophers um, who think well and clearly and deeply about these issues and just being exposed to more of that, uh, which, you know, before I kind of had, a very eclectic mix of Facebook friends um, and, and the like that were basically just, you know, friends for other reasons that I got into. And then, then I, you know, now I have lots and lots of philosophers, like the majority of my Facebook feed is philosophers. Um, and so I, I get a sort of philosophical take on any issue that comes up, but that, you know, that, that sort of exposure is, um, really shapes your mind in a, in a, a serious way. And um, I've been pretty uh, sort of intentional about what, you know, what, what do I want to put in front of my face every day? And um, who, who do I want to see? Who, who do I care about their voice? And, 100. You know, uh, I'm yeah. definitely one of those people who I despise the talking point of, well, you know, our politics are polarized because everyone agrees with you on Facebook because you cultivate them. I'm like, yeah, I fucking do. I don't want to be fucking angry every time I open my Facebook feed yeah. every morning. And also, right. kind of just as you said, like when all the smart people you know tend to 
have these really <laughs> compelling arguments and be super articulate and clearly be thinking through like step by step mm -hmm. what they're thinking and why that's going to yeah. influence you. It just is. Uh, there's there's right. just no way that you're going to be like, meh, you know, <laughs> right. maybe it's all just a coincidence. Um, yeah. So Facebook, social media is really important. Um, how about your relationship with, with various churches you were coming in contact with? Did that play any sort of role or was it just kind of in the background? I almost think like, as I reflect on it, I think the, the causation might be backwards, you know? So I, I think my political identity may have influenced my faith more than the other way around, mm -hmm. um, which um, I, I think it was definitely bi-directional as we'd say in philosophy, right? It's definitely like my, my um, religious identity definitely informs my politics, but um but I also have essentially the same politics as lots of friends who are atheists or um, uh, other versions of non-religious. And um, so I, I think part of that is like, I now like turn to um, the Bible and I read texts or I, I read passages in it um, through a lens of social justice. And there's like just if you read the the new Testament and you don't pull anything about social justice out of it. Um, and the ideas of like including and, um, uh, I have to be, be careful with the verbs I choose, but yeah, like, so, so definitely including, um, and maybe not, not always affirming, um, in, in the new Testament, um, the, the marginalized, but definitely including and loving the marginalized. Um, if you don't pull that, then you're like, you're reading a profoundly different book than I am. Um, and so I, I, I just, there, there's a very strong part of me that just does not understand evangelical Christianity that sees, you know, a pro capitalist pro white male patriarchy, Jesus. And I'm just like, where that's, where is, I'm reading. <laughs> where is it from? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting yeah. as always with religion, there's so many different interpretations that come from different places. And, um, you know, it's really, it's much more challenging because of the nature of faith to, to mm -hmm. then, then to say this is a correct interpretation of this historical document or not. But right. I think it's absolutely clear that it's much you can come to a, a myriad of different ethical propositions when you look at the Old Testament, which is the only other holy text I haven't know anything about, so I'll, you yeah. know, that I can speak to. The New Testament—it's just really hard. <laughs> I have this quote I show my students on a lecture on the New Right, where it's, it's some early New Right crusader, and he is talking about how Jesus is totally on board with uh, this self-interested system of capitalism and he would have never uh, endorsed, you know, government handouts. And I'm like, what the, f where the fuck did you get this? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, but, as uh, a worker is worth their wages. I <laughs> <maybe>. <laughs> really fucking crazy balls. <laughs> it's also a very good illustration of like look this is what ideology does it squares any fucking circle you give it 
any <laughs> yeah. fucking circle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but not not being a person of faith myself, I'm just frustrated with that on an intellectual level. I can only imagine what it's like for you because you actually yeah. care much deep, more deeply <laughs> about the interpretation of the New Testament. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, I, you know, it's, I, I've noticed about people in general that we have like a lot more poison for the people that we like sort of are in the same identity mm-hmm. group, but then we like disagree with and growing up in kind of new agey, new agey spiritualistic world where like we um, occasionally went to, it's called the church of religious science and they're kind of like hippy dippy and there's like meditation in the surface service and things like that. And, you know, as, as far as I can tell, it's a, it's a great um, re- religious community. <laughs> um, but um, I, I now have like the, the new agers are like the, the thing that like, you know, get my goat um, a lot because I kind of grew up in that world. And um, I, uh, and, and now I think because I um, identify as a, a Christian, there, there are, are certain Christians that just really depress me in a way that other people can't, you know, I just, you know, I don't, you know, Muslim extremists, I think are, you know, they're really bad (laughs) fundamentalists. It's bad, but it doesn't like, (laughs) it's not like, it doesn't like get to me in the way that like an evangelical Christian can. Of course, of course. That's, I think that's totally natural. And it's always brings to mind that classic reactionary tort of, well, if you don't love this country, why don't you leave it? (laughs) It's like, fuck you, man, because it's my home. Um, you don't love it either that's why you're complaining about (laughs) all the people that are trying to take it away from you yeah absolutely Um, cool so moving on and forward (laughs) unless do you have anything else to add to sort of the intersections and other aspects of your life are you you feeling full Okay. I, so I definitely were like, it's, it's worth noting that I had some really good influences in friends, um, especially women friends who just like, I, I think I was okay as an undergrad, but I was kind of a blowhard at times. And I had a lot of friends who just like put up with me. Um, and I, I think, you know, too. Even yeah, I am a woman I, and I identify as one. <laughs> definitely a yeah. blow hard and so i think i've like just learned a lot um partially because i've always really liked and cared about my women friends and so i've, I've just been it's partially through those relationships that i've just like come to think oh okay if i care about women which i really do like you know you can't care about women and also not be a feminist um, and make anti-feminist jokes and things like that, you know? And so I like, you know, I, I think it's worth noting that like personal relationships have been pretty important in that journey for me. Absolutely. It brings to mind this moment I had at a conference actually, where a scholar um, that I've had a weird abnormally high amount of exposure to because he's not like a big deal really anywhere except for this little community of intellectual history and even then I wouldn't Mm. say he's a big deal anyways his name's Christopher (laughs) Shannon and 
uh, he's a dick. <laughs> I'm just gonna throw that out there. He won't be surprised right. if this ever gets around to me saying this. <laughs> but at this conference, he was talking about. It. So he's a he's a anti-capitalist Catholic. So he's a, like he's he's in oh, okay. the tradition of Catholic social thinking, which does okay. have some really freaking great things about it, right? Particularly mm-hmm. if you take it to like a liberation theology kind of place. And he has some really strong cogent critiques of liberalism, which is initially how I was sort of drawn into these multiple conversations with him. But his solution to liberalism slash capitalism is, well, we need to get back to a hierarchy within the home. And women just can't, they can't be equal with men. Sorry, guys. Like, just that's the way it works. So, you know, that's bullshit. Uh, on so many levels. But at one moment at this conference, he was saying something to the extent of that basically came down to just because you're not a feminist doesn't mean that you're anti, anti-women. And I was like, nah, that kind of does. <laughs> and <laughs> what's funny about that is if you bring it down to a personal level, as you're here describing, could you imagine saying to someone like, I love you, I respect you, I think you are a whole an equal person just like me, but look, God wants you to be ultimately subordinate to me. It's like, yeah, no. No, that is an anti-that person who happens to be a woman <laughs> position. Dems so, the shakes. <laughs> that was a long-winded way of, of, of connecting your accurate slash decent person realization through personal mm. relationships to somebody <laughs> who comes to the opposite conclusion on a more abstract uh intellectual scale and plus i couldn't resist the temptation to bring up shannon because <laughs> he's just really fun to shit on um <laughs> all right so personal relationships are really important social world for you particularly online because that's just how it is for all of us these mm. days is important Considering your own story and also others, for sure, what do you think we can do to grow the left? And again, as I'm going to ask every time I ask this question, how much of that is really in our hands? Because to clarify where I'm going with that, there is definitely a, you know, a, a almost semi-Marxist attitude of we can ride the waves of history, but we can't control the weather, right? Um, So (laughs) where do you kind of fall on that question of what should we do slash how much can we do? Mm -hmm. um, I'm not too much of a Marxist in my reading of history, um, meaning for anyone who's not uh, aware of Marxist like theory, I, I'm not. I'm not too much of a sort of determinist in that thinking that something like you know economics just determines history. Or if you're like a Hegelian, you think that like there's this interplay of ideas and that it just it's going to drive history basically without us. And uh, we're you know we're we're more like tools of the ideas that we pl- you know um, engage with than we are like the actual agents involved. Um, and, and Marx is almost the opposite thinking. We're like almost tools of, of economics um, and rather than the, the agents of history. And I'm a little bit more um, sympathetic to the idea that humans have a lot to do with it. Um, but um, 
I, I'm very pessimistic um, as long as there's such a thing as Fox News and um, what what is it? KZFR up here or something? Oh, also OAN. OAN, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and and the Epoch Times and all of those kinds of like just, you know, far, far right wing media. Um, it's very difficult to imagine widespread change. Um, I can speak to like a, f- a friend of mine who grew up in like deeply rural California, Mount- mountain California. California has very different kinds of rural. And one, one kind of rural we have is mountain rural. No, that's and, um, <laughs> yeah. And um, so he was able to keep his parents watching um, PBS and listening to NPR and I think watching maybe CBS or something like that, right? Um, and that is just freaking huge, you know, because they um, haven't gone down the path of any sort of conspiratorial thinking. They both accept that the pandemic is real. Um, you know, they both accept certain things. And that's just um, not like trying to force an ideology down their throat um, or or tell them they're wrong or anything. It's just like, Make sure you're watching news that makes sense. It is like at all connected with reality. And so just like not make like helping people to not watch Fox News and um, not listen to public, you know, AM radio, basically, whatever, talk radio and, and things like that. That's like, you know, a lot of the work. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, particularly right now as we've gotten to medieval levels of conspiracy theories, right? <laughs> and there is something right. profoundly, there, there is a dissertation waiting to be written on like the drinking of baby blood meme <laughs> from <laughs> anti-Semitic medieval Europe to the cultural wars of the 21st century. It's just, right. someone explain that to me. But yeah, I, it's a gold mine. Someone get on it. It's a fucking gold <laughs> mine for your research. <laughs> Cultural studies. It's a cultural studies <laughs> thing. Um, but it's interesting because even though my focus of research and a lot of my political investigations, whatever you want to call it, um, gravitate towards looking at the intersections between liberalism and conservatism and Mm -hmm. looking at how even the mainstream framing you see on NPR, CBS is deeply inflected with uh, deeply conservative ideas about capitalism and all of this. Despite that, this is one of those moments where you're like, oh my God, though, if I could just get my parents to watch that instead, <laughs> right? <laughs> because it is, it, is gra- it is connected to reality in some basic sense. I mean, ideologically, yeah, it's still full of bullshit. And, it's, and yes, ideologically, it also makes it easier for the Fox News networks of the world to, to jump off and elaborate in their fantasy mm. worlds. But oh my God, <laughs> at this moment... <laughs> I'm not going to be picky, right? Like just right. anything connected to basic empirical facts, just just like the number of people who died, you know, yeah. from the pandemic. So right. I think you're absolutely right. All right. To, and there's a lot, there's ahead. a lot of sort of just like 
taking that kind of incremental approach of, uh, you know, I've listened to some far left podcasts that honestly, like I, as, as very much an ally of the far left have like been like, this is kind of, I, I don't enjoy listening to this. This is too ideological and reactionary. And it's like the ideologies right on the face of it. And so it's like, um, well, let's and, flip to page 342 of Dawson <laughs> Hall. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I'm like, okay, there's some cool analysis being done here. And I, I think this is like largely g- good, but they're also like, you know, they're picking on people who they, who are really allies of them and that like they shouldn't be um, doing this. And it's like not that fun to listen to. And, and so if it's like turning me off, then it's definitely going to turn anyone to the right of me off. And that's almost everybody. Right. And so um, I think, you know, if you could get people to just listen to like the kind of measured and interesting conversations that happen on a more measured um, uh, sort of um, format, like, I mean, it's, it's now over, but like um, Ezra Klein's podcast, uh, the the Ezra Klein show, I think it it was like a really good interview show. It's not, dramatically left of, of, of center. It's, it's decidedly left. Um, but I, I think it's not like really radical or, or, or really in invested in any ideology. And, um, it, it's actually, it's like a lot of meta critique about how politics plays out rather than like critique about why political issues matter and things like that. Um, but it's like, it, you know, if I was trying to get someone involved, I would be like, okay, let's listen to some NPR. You can see like, this is pretty middle of the road. They're, they're just sort of focusing on the facts of the matter and things like that. Then we could listen to left NPR, right. And listen to like the, you know, the political, um, uh, pod, I forget what it's called. The, the, the political, um, analysis podcast or listen to something that's, a you know, uh, or, um, code switch or something like that. Right. Where it's like, this is still very much in the NPR world, but it's like, much more left than mainstream, you know, all things considered or, or something like that. And I mean, maybe you would even start with marketplace, right. Which is about as on at three thirty. Yeah. Here, it's yeah. about as right as NPR. Gets, I always, I yeah. I always listen to it. If, if it's on, I don't change it. Cause I'm like, Oh, I want to learn some shit about like what most people think about how the economy works so that maybe I can say something yeah. when next time I see dad and he'll think I'm not <laughs> so ignorant about reality. Cause you know, in my yeah. dad's mind until I, until I start demanding lower taxes, I, uh, I don't really understand <laughs> the world. Um, <laughs> So, mar- marketplaces, you know, they discuss modern monetary theory. It's okay. Theory, which, it's okay. Which, right. is, which is kind of a radical it, it assumes, monetary theory. It assumes right. capitalism. But, you know, if you want to yeah. learn more about the world that assuming capitalism is spawned, then all right, you know. Um, yeah. So I just really quickly want to sort of highlight something you're saying there, which is it really brings home to me the power of overhearing, which I think is often really underestimated. Lots of times people, you know, my friends or family, right, I'll be telling them about this really drawn out and oftentimes upsetting uh, conversations I'll get on Facebook or or other social media forums. And they'll be like, why are you doing this? You're not going to convince them. I'm like, I'm not trying to convince them. There are people reading this thread that aren't saying a thing. And, and they are actually who I'm addressing. Because it's just like you said, also, your news sources are like that, right? They're not directly addressing you. And even if somebody, 
if somebody tries to have a conversation with me about a political issue and they're coming from, you know, anywhere left of center, I'm very bad at engaging with them because they just bonker shit comes out of their mouth. And I'm like, oh my God, how do I even start to unpack this? I don't even know what you said so fucking wrong and so fucking crazy. So deep breath in, <laughs> deep breath out. But I can't hide my feelings on my face. Trust me. You know, Ron will tell you. It's like totally obvious <laughs> that I'm like a deer in headlights when I hear shit that makes me upset. So, but if they, I sometimes imagine what if those same people could hear a bunch of me and my friends talking about these issues, like they wouldn't feel so confronted. They wouldn't so feel so frightened. Mm -hmm. And the effect of overhearing allows stuff to get in that otherwise there's just boom, there's a wall. Right. Um, And it just makes them aware. You know, a lot of times when I talk to people who are, you know, basically none of my friends, <laughs> but, you know, somehow <laughs> I know them. They might be my family. I can't wink, wink, not them. Um, I realize they just have no idea about the whole universe of where I'm coming from um, because they don't listen in, right? right. Um, and uh, they watch Fox News, even though they tell me every time I come home, I turn on the TV. I never turn on the TV. We never watch Fox News, even though it's on. <laughs> every time I come home, I turn on the TV, it's on. Okay. I never had that. Uh, what is the worst thing about being on the left? I so I was thinking about this earlier today. Like so, definitely the worst thing about being on the left is the right. Right? <laughs> like it's, it's just it, it's just the fact that you're antagonized by people who are doing just the wrong thing all the time. Right? Um, but uh, a less obvious answer, I think, is. Um, it's um, <laughs> so like I'm a, I, I really loved Queen's Gambit. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, I love that. I, I thought it was just like a fantastically done show. It was beautifully shot. It was wonderfully acted and everything. And partially, I'm I'm not a political consumer of media. I'm I'm almost like not even that critical of a consumer of media. I just I, I like just get in, engaged in it and and love it. And I love the artistic aspects of it. Uh, but then um, a prominent philosopher, Kate Mann, who is um, may- maybe the most prominent feminist philosopher right now. She wrote a book called Down Girl, The Logic of Misogyny, which is just fantastic. And then uh, um, her more recent book is called Entitled, and it's about um, sort of analyzing white pro- or male privilege. I've, and, I've heard uh, about they're, that Yeah, they're, they're just both like excellent. Uh, but she was like, I hated Queen's Gambit, and here's why. And I'm like... Damn it. You're, so you're not you, wrong about that. <laughs> I mean, you read it or listen, you know, uh, 100%. So this is such a challenge, I think, for individuals. And it's it's kind of a guilty problem because then you feel like an asshole, particularly if you're in a position of privilege, if you're white or if you're a man or mm-hmm. God for mm-hmm. sake, you know, both. Sorry, Andrew. Um, <laughs> yep. You're like. I, I I am bummed out that I can't fucking enjoy any goddamn TV show, right? But I actually think there is a lot more there, and there's a lot to think about. Um, so I'm we're gonna go there with the podcast in the future. But 100, yeah. I'm on board. It's a problem. It's yeah. not. It's not a serious it, problem. It's not a problem the world needs to address. But on a personal level, it's a fucking problem. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of yucking of yums on the left where yucking everything is problematic. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I haven't heard that. And everything is problematic. And that's like you said, you read, you kind of agreed with her, right? You read this thing and you're like, oh, 
fuck. <laughs> yeah. God. I still damn it. I still love the show, but I'm I'm definitely like I mean, you're not wrong about the the social critique. Um, but also does every show have to like it's you know, it, it enlightens one of the sense in which Queen's Gambit is a fantasy. And it's it's interesting, like you have to look at it as a fantasy, otherwise you will get um potentially indoctrinated by it, right? To think it was actually fine to be a woman in the 60s. I saw this show about this woman who was, you know, everything was great in the 60s. And she went to Russia and she was treated with nothing but respect and the world loved her. And, you know, it's like, yeah, that's a fantasy. And as long as you recognize this is a fantasy, then it's okay to just enjoy a fantasy, right? You know? right. Absolutely. I mean, and there's also, you know, there's aspirational fantasies. Like, wouldn't it have been nice if it had been this way, blah, blah, blah. Uh yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll leave it there for now because, uh, like I said, we're uh, I'm going to do deep dives into this shit in the future. Um, what is the best thing about being on the left? They just unquestioned moral superiority. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I really like that answer because to be totally fucking honest, when I asked myself this question, a kind of less explicit form came to mind. I'm like, not being evil. <laughs> I yeah. like feeling like maybe I am not a shit person. <laughs> I, I I mean it's it's definitely um f- being being pretty firmly convinced that you're on the right side of history and um it, it doesn't you know even if you have like minor quabbles quibbles here and there with left politics and left ideology and things like that, then you know that at least I got climate change, right? Like, can we just agree on something that's going to kill us in 20 years? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I got that one right, you know? And um, so just, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that I got that one right, you know, by through no uh, virtue of my own, just like being, being on the right side of things because I listen to the right people. And you know? <laughs> exa- and as you were kind of talking about, a lot of it is happenstance, right? Um, God, like a lot of it is what you happen to be exposed to that that has, I think, my own story in this regard that doesn't really have anything to do necessarily with whether or not you're a great person. You just got fucking lucky. Just met the right people. Or you had the right, yeah. the right interest. You know, I went into grad school in history. If you can go through grad school in history and come out at least not, or come out, you know, anything less than left of center, I don't, <laughs> you didn't understand anything you fucking learned. So, but that, but I didn't go into grad school because of that, right? I went to grad school as a fucking right. nerd. I didn't know what else to do with myself. Um, yeah, it's this, it's this thing in philosophy we call moral luck. The idea uh, that um, some people kind of luck out and as a result end up more, like morally better than others, but not not through any virtue of their own. Like just they, I love just that. That's a great concept. It, it would also be useful for trying to get people to understand politics outside of a frame of individualism. But I'll beat that drum again and again some other time. <laughs> um, let's wrap up with uh, a show book podcast recommendation that you would like. And I want to make this clear. This doesn't have to be tilted towards a left audience. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. things I'm trying to do here is be like, leftists are whole people. And yeah, like we like to watch. <laughs> um, sometimes I, I watch Say Yes to Address for example. Uh, nice. I wouldn't recommend it necessarily, <laughs> but if you're interested in fashion, I would. Um, uh-huh. Anyways, 
what what would your what, what would your uh what would you like to share like, i mean i have so times. many being a podcaster i have to share podcasts because that's where my heart is um so like my podcast which is called reductio um and it's that's reduction without the n at the end um it's um a uh, philosophy about or a podcast about philosophy but um one podcast i've really been enjoying a lot lately um which um, has has a, a decent amount of left politics in it, um, but is also just mostly just about philosophy and also about sci-fi. And they kind of juxtapose them. It's called Philosophers in Space. And <laughs> nice. really been enjoying it a lot. Um, it's it's fun. It's uh, very different than my podcast. And um, it, it's, it's more of a like kind of two hosts, just kind of talk, have a conversation kind of podcast. And mine's, mine's very different. Um, but I, have just been enjoying it cause a, it's like cool sci-fi, um, that they talk about and then they connect it up with cool philosophy. And, um, so it's, it's kind of so many good know, threads there. It's like, you yeah, it, it warms my nerd heart. So. Uh, that's nice to hear. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today, Andrew. That was really, uh, quite fun and interesting and, uh, Redactio is the name of his podcast and once again uh highly recommend particularly if you're interested in philosophy yeah all right thank you have a good evening thanks for having me